This is the Education Gadfly Show. Which oh my royal God. Are yeah, about? That, that would be there we go. Yeah, That's the American Royal Tenenbaums. What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming my special guest for this week, the Prince Harry of Education Reform, Dale Chu. Welcome, Dale. Uh, thanks, Mike. It's great to be here. Yeah, Dale is currently an independent consultant, meaning he's available to do jobs, everybody. Among his many claims to fame is that he served as the assistant superintendent for innovation and improvement in the great state of Indiana from 2009 to 2013. Also joining us is our co-host, Alyssa Schwenk. Hey, Mike. How's it going? I'm well. I'm well. We got the, the royal wedding fast approaching. Fast approaching, yeah. But you know, Meghan Markle's not having a really great week, according to the tabloids. So yeah. I'm going to be Queen Elizabeth this week. Queen Elizabeth. NBD. Okay. There we go. Have you watched any of the shows about Queen Elizabeth? The which one? Well, right. I mean, there are a lot. Aren't yes. There? No, yes. I am a strong viewer of The Crown, though I have yeah. many um, edits on the last season. And I did actually spend Sunday night watching uh, the When Harry Met Meghan movie on Lifetime oh. with my mother. Oh, nice. Happy Mother's and, Day. And Dale, what about you? Are you, are you a big fan of the Royals or uh, yeah, are you admit, too patriotic for that? Admittedly, I, I have not been following the Royals as closely as perhaps I should have. Yeah. Well, I don't know that we should. I mean, it's a weird thing, right? Yeah. Here we are hundreds of years later and- uh, See, that means that we can like follow it without any guilt because we're not the ones whose taxes are paying $400 million for this wedding. Gotcha. $400 million? Something like that. Yeah, um, with the security. Goodness, that's crazy. Well, hey, but we're not a podcast about the royal family, though I bet those podcasts are super popular right now. They are. I listen to them. Yeah, this is go. fine. Uh-huh. But we are a podcast about education reform. So let's do our ed reform update. Okay, Dale. Dale, you have been blogging for the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. Thank you for that. And among other things you've been writing about is Indiana, where, as we said before, you served under Tony Bennett uh, and Governor Mitch Daniels. And you served at a time when there were some big education reforms. And In fact, back in 2011, we gave uh, Tony Bennett the Ed Reform Idol prize at a Fordham event. That video is still online, people, if it's you want to see so it. so good. And and that trophy was amazing. Uh, and then, you know, and I'm not going to engage in Miss Napery, but Indiana saw its NAEP scores skyrocket between 2011 and 2013. Still pretty good by 2015. And then more recently, they've hit a plateau. And we've asked Dale to try to explain what went right in Indiana and maybe also what went wrong. So Dale, let's talk first about the what went right. I mean, for a while there, Indiana looked like it was going to be the next big school reform state, you know, like Florida in the early, in the 2000s or Massachusetts or North Carolina, Texas in the 90s. I mean, this was going to establish itself as the next big ed reform place uh, with reforms and outcomes to show for it. What, what were some of the reforms that you think uh, might have made the biggest impact in Indiana back in the day? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks again for having me, Mike and Alyssa. It's great to be here. Finally made it onto the Gadfly show, um, which is, which is, which is fantastic. So yeah, uh, so, uh, Indiana, some of the things that, you know, some of the reforms that, um, that we put into place, you know, there were some smaller ones before the, the big ones in 2011, you know, some around, uh, stopping social promotion. Those are some big things. Um, but we were limited, um, initially 
by the, just to be totally candid, the legislature in terms of the, the how they were composed. Um, and in the two, 2010 midterms um, was a huge, um, huge uh, event in Indiana where the result um, was, were super majorities in both chambers. Uh, and then when that happened, I think we all kind of said, you know what, there's, there's no reason why we shouldn't, you know, try to shoot for the moon. And so we did that in 2011. Um, we got four really large changes um, in the state, uh, completely transformed uh, teacher evaluation and teacher quality, uh, transformed collective bargaining in the state, uh, and then also removed the cap on charter schools, um, and then established a voucher program uh, in Indiana as well. Yeah, ton of activities. And at the same time, very strong on the sort of standards and accountability framework as well. Right, uh, including moving at some point to A to F grades. That's right. Um, that was something that would not have happened under uh, Tony Bennett's predecessor um, that we quickly installed. Uh, and then also coupled with that, Mike, was um, the first time in the state's history where we exercised uh, the state's law regarding uh, state takeover of failing schools mm-hmm. that had been on the books for a while, um, but it just happened to, in terms of the first cohort of schools that were that that were sort of under the spotlight of that law that coincided with our tenure uh, during that time. So a lot of things happening, and then there was an election. Uh, yes, <laughs> the, uh, yes, the state was. superintendent post in Indiana used to be an elected position. Tony Bennett was elected for the first time in in what twenty. 20- what was it, 2008, in 2009? Terms of, in terms of uh, Tony's election, yeah, Tony's election, he, he was elected in the fall of 2008. Okay, and so then in the fall of 2012, he had to run for re-election, right. and he lost, uh, yes. famously, uh, and, uh, which was a big shock to a lot of us, but maybe shouldn't have been. I mean, when you're going to push all of this reform at the same time very aggressively, uh, you sometimes get a backlash, and the voters had a very clear way of registering that backlash, he lost to a candidate who had overwhelming support from the teachers and suddenly you guys were out. And then yep. what happens? Yeah. Well, so that, yeah, so that was definitely, uh, that was definitely a big shock. Um, though, you know, in, in some respect, not totally surprising, you know, there was a piece, I think just in political order this week, an interview with Arthur Brooks at AEI, where he basically said, just paraphrasing that voters tend to vote more against things than for things. Uh, and I mm-hmm. think in 2012, it was less for the, for the new candidate and more against, um, Actually, not even against Tony. It was more against the caricature of Tony that was created. Um, and so yeah. at that point, um, the new administration came in and they tried to I mean, really quickly unravel um, a lot of the things that we had been working really hard to put in place over the previous four years. And thankfully, the new governor at the time and our current vice president took some, I would argue, pretty bold steps to, to limit the limit the damage. Right. So you had Governor Pence at the time against the new state superintendent. I'm forgetting her name now even. What, what was her name? Glenda. Glenda. That's right. And uh, and they were at war with each other. I mean, now that I think back upon those times, I mean, constant stories about how uh, the governor's office was trying to block the Department of Education and vice versa. A lot of tangling. I mean, the voters elected Mike Pence at the same time they elected this uh, state superintendent who was very much against reform. And you <laughs> you sort of saw that what, what can happen when you have an executive branch that is not under unified political control. Uh, it led to a lot of stalemate and gridlock. Yeah, you know, this is one of the arguments that, um, you know, Governor Daniel has always made and actually probably even predated him um, in terms of, you know, the, you know, more than half of the state's budget 
not just Indiana, but most states is dedicated to education. So why wouldn't the person who leads um, that sector be under the purview or report directly to the governor? Um, and Indiana at the time was one of only less than, you know, 15 or so states, I think, that elected their state superintendent. Um, and you could see, so this the worst case scenario happened under that model in, in terms of the four years that followed us. And long story short, after that turmoil, you know, Hoosiers are fairly common sense people. And they kind of said, you know what, we're not going to do that again. Um, and so for the first time, the new governor, Governor Holcomb, just signed a law um, to make that position, the state superintendent in Indiana, an appointed one. And that's a pretty big deal mm-hmm. because in the 167-year history of that position, it's always been elected until until very recently. Yeah. No, and, and so finally, you can try to at least have the executive branch be... Uh you know, have, have a cohesive <laughs> uh, policy framework instead of having all this infighting going on. Yeah. So back in the real world, what, what were some of the things that Glenda and her folks at that Indiana Department of Education did undo? I mean, you know, if, if they had an impact on reform and, and sort of pressing the stop button, in, in what ways did that manifest itself? The good thing was um, for us is that a lot of the reforms we installed were done through, um, were done statutorily, right? So there was a limit to what um, mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the, our, our successor would be able to do. And she was the only, rep, you know, the only statewide elected officer of one party versus, you know, all, everyone else was aligned essentially against her. So she was the odd person out. So I think what mm-hmm. she tried to do was uh, essentially gum up the operation. So it wasn't necessarily, you know, taking anything down because she couldn't do that. But to the extent that she could just try to slow things down, distract folks from, you know, the things that we were trying to to do, um, she did that. So to be more, to be concrete, one example, teacher evaluation. So right after we passed the law, we uh, established a state model evaluation that up to actually over 80% of the districts had indicated in the state they were going to adopt that model. Well, that was really early on. And then we lost. uh, And then she came in and she was never a fan of that model, Mike. Uh, And so basically blew that up, took that off the website. And so it wasn't that districts couldn't move forward, but they didn't have a great best practices model um, in the same way that they did when, when we were there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what, you know, when you think back to this, I mean, let, let's say the next NAEP scores come out and, and the story holds that basically Indiana had been making great progress and then it hit a wall, maybe because of all of this uh, political fighting and, and, you know, what the state superintendent did to slow things down. We look back on, on some lessons here. I mean, it sounds like you've already said one lesson is, hey, maybe an appointed uh, superintendent makes sense rather than an elected one. Also, the importance of getting reforms embedded into statute, you know, so they can't be easily overturned. I mean, what, what else? Do you, I mean, do you think that you all could have done more politically to try to get the reforms to, to win over hearts and minds in the state? I mean, was you guys did so much good work on the policy substance, but maybe there wasn't enough work done on politics and on getting people to come along on board with you? Yeah, you know, I think it's something that I think about, you know, I continue to think about today, right? Is, you know, it's easy to sort of Monday, Monday morning quarterback, this sort of thing. I mean, we, if you think about sort of the timing of all this, right? So, um, Tony came on, um, to be Governor Daniels's partner during, uh, Governor Daniels' second and final term, right? So he knew there was a four year window right there. Um, and yeah, could we have, you know, there's that sort of that's, that's saying, you know, you go as fast as we can and as slow as we must, you know, you, you know, you know, Tony and governor Daniels, they're more of the, you know, fast as we can ilk. Um, and mm-hmm. it was sort of the, the moment Tony got elected, it was like the, in our minds, the clock started ticking. Um, and we, we recognized going in, there was always going to be a chance that 
um, we wouldn't get, um, you know, we wouldn't get re-upped. Um, but that was, you know, the, the risk we were willing to take to push for the reforms that we really believed in. Uh, we could have mm-hmm. possibly slowed things down, but I, I guess I would argue then we might not have been able to get as much as we as we ended up getting. So it's, you know, it's 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 a double-edged sword, I think, Mike. Right. No, it, it, and it is. I mean, you compare Indiana to, say, Tennessee. In Tennessee, it feels like maybe worked a little harder at trying to have a collaborative approach, you know, getting the teachers on board with some of their reforms, for example, and making sure that, uh, for example, when there was a gubernatorial transition, that candidates from both parties were on board the reform train. Then again, you could also say that maybe some of what Tennessee did or didn't do wasn't quite as aggressive. I mean, mm-hmm. they still don't have a voucher program, for example. Uh, and maybe that was part of the calculus was to, uh, you know, to leave that off in order to get more buy-in. But there's, uh, you know, but th- this is all about trade-offs. And that's, so that's exactly right. Yeah, I, I don't have a strong opinion myself. I mean, if it, uh, you know, it did, did seem like the stars aligned there. The notion that Mitch and Tony said, "Hey, let's get as much as we can, as fast as we can, and, and then nail it down as much as possible," uh, is it was not crazy, uh, and certainly seemed to have done some good. It's uh, you know it was a, it was a special moment in time, um, yeah. and uh, you know the, the the leadership, the courage from both Governor Daniels and Tony Bennett, I think, is something that is in uh, short supply these days when you sort of look across the country. But um, it served you know it served the state of Indiana really really well, uh, and I and I still believe that in the long run um, it, it it will continue to serve the state well. All right. Excellent. Hey, Dale, thanks for joining us. Again, Dale Chu, who is a former assistant superintendent for innovation and improvement in Indiana and a great fan of the Education Gadfly show and the Education Gadfly and is now writing for Flypaper at the Fordham Institute website as well. Dale, great to have you. Thanks again for having me. All right. Now it's time for everyone's favorite Amber's Research Minute. Welcome back to the show, David. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Mike. David Griffith, standing in for Amber. And uh, are, are you a big fan of the royal family? Am I a big fan of the royal family? Uh, uh, do you care about this wedding coming clear, up? Look or at his which, which, which oh my royals God. are we See, talking yeah, about? That, that would yeah, be there we go. Was, That's uh, the American, American royals, <laughs> royal Tenenbaums. <laughs> that was a great show. That was, I mean, movie. That was I have movie. not seen that movie. Oh my gosh. There See? We go. Classic Owen Wilson. Ugh. All right. What you got for us? Yeah. Uh, thanks, Mike. Today, I have uh, school improvement grants in Ohio effects uh, on student achievement and school administration. Mm. Um, by Devin Carlson and uh, Stefan Levertu. Mm-hmm. These guys sound familiar. They yeah. do. They've been the authors of several Fordham studies. They do great All work in Ohio. Ohio. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We like Ohio. Uh, so a little bit. This study look, takes another look at uh, the School Improvement Grant Program, which was people probably remember was the big uh, Obama administration program. Yeah. And it, it frankly does not find anything totally earth shattering, but it confirms findings that from another study in California. So that's why I chose it because every once in a while studies will find the same thing. Okay. And when they do, I think that's notable. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, so basically uh, the study uses, you know, a regression discontinuity design to that leverages the cutoff between like the lowest performing schools in Ohio, Right the lowest 5%, and it basically looks at the difference between the schools that were just above or below this, like, 5% cutoff. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And the schools below the cutoff uh, got SIG grants, and the schools above it mm-hmm. didn't. So you can look at that and, and see, like, you know, what, was there an impact? Um, and basically what it finds was that there was an impact, and then it was concentrated in a particular model um, 
so there were four uh, models of school turnaround or, mm-hmm. or that, that schools could adopt. if you will. School improvement, thank you, yes. And in fact, one of them is called turnaround, which is confusing. So, And they're basically closure, turnaround, transformation, uh, and restart. Restart being turning it into a, a charter. Mm-hmm. Um, and like previous studies in very different contexts, this one finds that all of the benefits, not all of the benefits, but the benefits were overwhelmingly concentrated in the turnaround model, which is basically the one that requires that teachers be fired. Yeah. <laughs> the most intense, one of the most intense yeah. ones. I yeah. mean, it's, it's confusing because, again, Closure the language. seems pretty intense, yeah, too. Well, well, but turnaround is more intense than, tr- quote, transformation. Yes. Transformation is the tweaking. Yes, yes. Tweaking Tra- transformation is what everybody did, right? So right. everybody wanted to transform their school. And that's right. like what, you know, of the of the schools, the 73 schools in this sample, you know, 58 of them were transformed. And they yes. saw no statistically significant. No transformation, if you will. Yeah, they were transformed into slightly higher spending schools. Um, I mean, to be fair, <laughs> uh, you know, their coefficients were positive. So, you know, maybe there was something going on there, but none of it was significant. The significant effects were basically all in the transformation school, sorry, the turnaround schools, which took a much more aggressive approach to firing teachers. So I think, you know, this, first of all, this is basically exactly what Tom D found in California mm-hmm. several years ago. So I just think it is notable um, that because California and Ohio are very different uh, and it's two different researchers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's, there's really, there's no reason to believe that anybody is shading the truth here. Yeah. Um, so I guess my question is, um, what do we do with that? Because I, I, I think about this a lot. There are a lot of, I don't know, rural schools out there or suburban schools where uh, closure is a really tough option mm-hmm. um, as much as we sort of tout it as something that districts should take more seriously. And so what's the takeaway here? Is, is it worth pursuing this as sort of like a model? Because actually the effect sizes are, are reasonably big. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you guys think? I mean, I think you mentioned rural schools. I think turnaround is an incredibly difficult method to implement in a school where the community has 2,000 people and maybe 20% of them have college degrees. Right. Mm-hmm. So... That's my helpful add to this conversation. It's not helpful, but I agree, well, uh, I right. agree that it's, it's accurate, though. It's accurate. Everything is hard yeah. in those rural areas. But, but yeah, look, I think it's, it's like many things in education. It's sort of all or nothing, right? That, that half measures don't get you very far. Yeah. And so if you're going to turn around the school, you got to actually turn around the school. That means bringing in probably a lot of new people. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, yeah, you're probably better off not doing much. And, you know... Yes, closure is difficult politically, though what we've seen, at least in the cities, is that bad schools do eventually close uh, once they their enrollment dwindles to a low enough point. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. if, and, and that tends to happen if you can start up a bunch of good charter schools nearby. So, you know, this is where I've come out on this, you know, in, in most cases is to say, hey, the, the answer to chronically low performing schools is competition from better charter schools. I mean, it's something that we've seen. It works. It just, you have to be patient. It doesn't happen overnight. And of course, you got to get all the charter school pieces right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't have a lot of faith that there's states out there that right now that have the courage yeah. uh, to go into a school and close it. Look, if you've got the tools and the political capital to do these true turnarounds, which means you're actually, as you say, willing to fire people and bring in, uh, you know, new staff, then go for it. Let me ask you this, Mike: which is which is harder politically, closing a school or firing half its teachers? <laughs> well, I right, I think both. I mean, look, I think in many places, fi- closing a school is a, a non-starter. Yeah, you know, I mean that that it just is too hard, and especially from afar, and. Uh, you know, the, the community backlash is too harsh. And and so 
Now, the slow closure is a different situation. Right. right? I mean, nobody can defend a school that's half empty and or it's yeah. really hard to. And so, but uh, yeah, look, I think, you know, firing half the staff. I mean, do you actually have the ability with the contract? You know, in terms of the teacher union contract, do you have, as Alyssa was indicating, do you have other teachers, a mm-hmm. uh, pipeline of other teachers you can bring in? Um, yeah, I'm still digging into the study. It's not clear to me that actually half the staff were fired, right? right. It seems like more staff were. were well, right. It, it, yeah. it may not yeah. need to be half. It may just yeah, need right. to be no, a few. I, right. right. And that's incredibly crude, right? Yeah. I guess my question is, I mean, it's, it seems to me like we have to keep it on the table. I mean, you can kind of see where I'm going with this, right? Is like. I can't. Well, I mean, as a backup option, right? <laughs> like if, you know, it's the next best thing to closure, right? Kind of in the suburban zone where maybe yeah, there yeah, are yeah, other yeah. teachers <laughs> that could be brought in, right? Um, you know, but it, you know, not necessarily like you can close that you can't close a school necessarily, yeah, or it may not be the best thing. And, and I'm, I'm with you. Look, it sounds like turnaround, these turnaround models are worth pursuing. Yeah. And we see that now from Ohio. We see it from California. So that's awesome. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, David. Yep. Uh, that is all the time we've got for this week. Uh, though, again, if you've got another state sometime, you know. Yeah. A lot, a lot of space between Ohio and California. Yeah. Yeah. I've never been to those states. But yeah. Yeah. I hear oh they're nice. Oh, my God. David, Stop David. it. I'm just kidding. I love Colorado. Thankfully, you all the time yeah. we've got for this week. Until next week. I'm Melissa Schwein. And I'm Mike Petrilli. The Thomas Fordham Institute, signing off. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.